0: Welcome back to the Better Than Rich Show. I am your host today, and my name is Mike Abramowitz, and we have a special guest on season three today, Mr. Link Forrester. And if you don't know Link, I am so excited to introduce you to him. Uh, He has a fantastic book called The Side Road, which we'll talk about on this episode. It's a very short read, uh, and and it's extremely profound. We'll talk a little bit about it today, and uh, all all proceeds go to uh, nonprofits. We'll talk about as well. So. Uh, before I uh, ha- turn things over to Link and start asking him some questions, I just want you to know who Link is. Uh, after reading his book, uh, first off, you know, he had uh, Charles Barkley, a uh, fellow alum of Auburn, uh, be able to write uh, some kind words about Link, which is really cool. I can't wait to dig into that. But he has a rare blend of humility, faith, good sense of humor, uh, all of which enabled him to grow through the trials of becoming a parent very early in life, a little earlier than planned, a risky career change. And the tragic death of a son, which we'll talk about. Uh, After graduating from Auburn University in 1987, Link began his career in sales at IBM. Five years later, took a leap of faith in the financial services industry where he continues to lead a thriving financial planning and wealth management business. He's a native of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, He's an avid golfer. He's a member of Perimeter Church. And he and his wife, Carla, spend much of their free time on Link Lanier. Uh, with their three children, Caroline uh, and uh, Cole and Banks, and uh, also his uh, two daughter-in-laws, his three grandchildren, their dog, Bailey, their cat boots, and uh, a lot of good wine. Welcome to The Better Than Rich Show with your hosts, Andrew Biggs and Mike Abramowitz. The Better Than Rich Show helps ambitious leaders who are on a mission to leave the world better than they found it, change their perspective on what's important, increase their income and impact, and systemize their life and business. If you've ever struggled with finding your purpose, have felt disconnected or distracted, or found yourself going through the motions, this show will remind you that what you do matters and will re-inspire you to chase your highest dreams. It's time for you to become better than rich. Link, welcome to the show. Excited to have you here. Thanks for joining us today. So as far as being a club golfer, all right, you know, getting a chance to play, you feel like, so if I'm hearing you right, it feels like, it's a good place to meet people, good place to have good conversation and maybe bring a six pack on the course or something. I don't know. Who knows? Right. My question for you, Link, is I, I like golf as an analogy. So I'd like to hear from you. I like to play golf. But how do you feel like golf is an analogy for life? Like where wh- how do you use golf as a vehicle? How do you use golf as a tool for business, for pleasure? And you know, I'd like to hear from you on that. I'm curious. Well, I think golf is just a great way to
1: get to know people. You can learn a lot about someone and uh, watching them and, and being with them on a golf course. One, you can build a great relationship. And two, you can just learn about their temperament and who they are. And I think it's a great way to, uh, again, to build a relationship. I don't like golf enough not to listen to music or drink beer on a golf course. So I'm pretty, I'm definitely a scratch at that. But lately I've been on the member guest circuit. You know, th- I've played in three already this year. I have three more to go. So we haven't won the whole thing yet, but we've had a pretty good year so far.
0: Well, cool. if you had a list off top three courses before we dig in, we're going to dig in. I'm going to ask you some hard hit questions today. So top three courses you played. Well, I've played Augusta, so that's definitely up
1: there. I went to Pebble Beach and played Pebble and a, and a bunch of the surrounding courses there for my 50th birthday. That was a great trip. I played Pine Valley, which is the hardest course in America. And I don't know that I even recorded a score there. It's so hard. I never forget, we rolled in there It was a light dusting of snow on the ground, and I was thinking, man, we won't have to play 36 today. We can just you know, get a later tee time, play 18, but no, these guys were grinders. 36, it was cold, and again, probably the hardest course in America, so I don't know if I can give Pine Valley the the real great rating it needs because I'm probably not a a good enough golfer, and it was tough, tough conditions, but really a great treat if you ever get a chance to play there just the
0: cabins and the whole experience is pretty awesome it sounds awesome 36 holes man i get tired think about that i i get tired after nine holes man 36 that's that's cool uh, i had yeah. a crazy a pretty cool golf experience i played greenbriar by myself with my own private caddy at dawn it was pretty epic it was really really beautiful so cool so, so let me ask you this you have this early upbringing you know, tell me about Link before, because you, you got married young to Carla. But tell tell us about Link growing up. Did you always have this entrepreneurial spirit? We have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the Better Than Rich show. Well, were you born with this entrepreneurial spirit? Were you, were you the lemonade stand kid growing up? Or like, who was Link before, pre-Carla? You know, grew up in Roswell, Georgia. Had, you know,
1: had jobs in high school. So always was a bit of a saver wasn't a good enough athlete for that to distract me too much. My last couple of years worked at a place called Pro Golf Discount and worked in the golf sort of industry. And uh, yeah, and then off to off to college and then kind of life got started early and you know found our way to where we are now through a couple of good breaks and relationships and so forth. So that's sort of how it how it all
0: worked. Now when you met Carla at Auburn I did meet Carla at Auburn, yes. So in college, get married young, and you started your family. Banks was born pretty early in life with you guys. Banks was born at
1: Auburn, yep. My wife and I, usually this is when the question comes, you are a cheerleader at Auburn. So my wife and I were both college cheerleaders. We don't break out those old unis up uh, unless it's special occasions now, but that's how we met. And, you know, midway through my junior year, we found out that we were with child. And so our life changed dramatically at that point.
0: And that's what I wanted to bring out. (laughs) I want to bring that out because I think sometimes entrepreneurs have things that don't go necessarily as planned. So you're young, you're in college and you find out you're going to be a dad. And you also have a whole life of dreams that you you had ahead of you. That maybe it wasn't as expected, or maybe it was. Like, how did you navigate that time as a junior in college, about to graduate with building construction with your bachelor's, and now you have a kid on the way? Like, can you walk us through a little bit of that, like that 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 time period a little bit? Give us a little bit of color in there. Yeah, I would say one benefit is we had
1: parents that were understanding, willing to let me finish school. A lot of young couples struggle with money and finances early in their relationship. And we really didn't have a lot of that. We just focused on having a baby and finishing school and sort of growing up in a real short period of time. So I think we benefited from understanding parents who loved us and willing to give us a step up and able to finish school. And so that
0: was sort of the big, you know, the the big help there. And did you transition to work in IBM in sales around that same time graduating college? Well,
1: I spent a year in a construction business, which is sort of the first step for a building science major, building construction major. I hated it. I was a year into it, unhappy. I can remember those old tool belt days when I'd get home and just lay on the floor with Carla and Banks and think, man, this is so terrible. And a family friend, Dave Voucher, uh, gave me my first break in, in my career. He said, Link, are you ready to come work for me at IBM? And I said, Dave, you just tell me where to show up and when and I'll be there. And IBM was just a great experience for me great training I learned how to help people how to sell how to be a better listener and it just was a great start to my career
0: if you think back to this career I mean it seems like it's pretty good I mean isn't some people think sales is risky though isn't it if you were was this considered a risk being a young dad and it's like I'm, going, I'm leaving this construction and I'm going into sales? Like, What was that transition like? Well, I, I don't think that was the big risky move for me.
1: It was really the next move for me that kind of took everybody by surprise. But the one thing I did learn at IBM is I learned the difference between a quota territory sales job and a contract sales job. I'll never forget. I, I'm in my midway through year there and I have these great clients and I was talking to my manager and I said, you know, if you're going to pay me X to sell X number of computers, and I think I'm going to sell four times X, I'm assuming you're going to pay me four times what you're going to pay me. And he said, no, we're going to pay you 130% of your target earnings, blah, 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 blah. And that's when I knew I needed to do something else was not going to be in a spot where someone was, was going to manage my earnings for the rest of my career. I needed to get out of the quota territory business and into contract sales. So that was when I knew I was going to do something different. Um, and then in the book, you'll hear that I, I was on a search. I'd made a list of all the things I wanted in a job. I wanted to be in sales. I wanted to be passionate about what I sold. I didn't want anybody to manage my earnings. I didn't want to travel. I didn't want to have to move and then I made a list of all the cool people, or all the people I knew who I thought had cool jobs. And so I went on a little mission for about a couple of months where I would just meet with these people and see if their job co- you know, worked with my list. And during that time, my insurance agent came to see me, Jeff, and Jeff Van Pelt. And he said, look, you got to meet this Bill Goodwin guy. And I said, Jeff, I'm pretty sure I don't want to get in the insurance business. He said, no, you just need to meet him. He's a great person. I'm sure he can help you on this journey you're on. And I said, I'm in. Sounds good. And that was the next big break. Bill is a very dynamic guy, a great listener. I talk in the book. I remember going to see Bill that morning and Carla goes, Link, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to meet this Bill Goodwin guy. And he said, what does Bill do? He's in the insurance business. She goes, insurance business. I said, Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm not gonna get in that business. But you know, Jeff says he's a great guy to meet. And after meeting him, two hours with him, he had me convinced that this was the only job that was gonna, you know, meet my list of ideas about what I wanted to do. And I came home all excited, and Carla had thought I had lost my mind that I'm gonna leave this job at IBM I seem to be doing well at to go work for nothing, for no salary, just a contract and sell insurance. and ended up being a, a great decision for us. And Over the years, our, that business has developed into wealth management, financial planning, and it's just been a great 30-year run. I'm sufficiently unqualified to do anything else now, so it's just got to work.
0: And it's a really beautiful testament that you, number one, you made a list of what it is that you're looking for. I don't think there's many people who get that clarity before we, you know, I down that path, but where, where do you think that exercise came from? Did you have a mentor or someone that say, Hey, this is how you help with effective decision-making or?
1: No, I didn't read a book. I didn't have a mentor. No one told me to do that. I just made a decision that I wanted to do something different and that's the best idea I had. So <laughs> thankfully Sometimes it works
0: in your own intuition then, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And, and, and obviously, like you said, you, you work in, in wealth management and, and you've kind of helped build this beautiful life in that. What has kept you in I mean, thirty years you you stay. I mean, you talk to some entrepreneurs; they get distracted by things all around them. How do you stay focused or committed to to the process for thirty years of staying where you are? You know, I would say
1: for the first eighteen or nineteen years of my career, I was focused. No one worked harder than me. My business was just on point. Just you know, my activity, my habits. The thing the people I were, was willing to let into my system everything was just as good as it could be. had been a, a top performer at our company every you know every way they measure it and then tragedy hit and I, I took a pause and you know when it's not often when tragedy hits that people have a business that can take care of them. So for a few years, my business supported us without me really doing anything. And it took me a while to get back going. And that's about the time I I sort of transitioned the business from high end insurance and estate planning to financial planning and wealth management. And that was a nice change, gave me some new energy. And then just last year, I formed a partnership with a friend of mine. And now we have a, a bigger team and this is, has been a lot of fun. And with these sort of growing wealth management businesses that have value and have succession issues, this has been nice. It's been a fun change. Now Cole is working with me, my son. And so it's just been, you know, it's, it's developed through the, but ultimately what really paid off is it really did to meet my list of things I wanted in a job. And then I just worked it. You know, One problem people have is many people aren't willing to work for themselves. They'll work if someone else tells them to do it, but they can't do it for themselves. In this business we're in, you have to be able to make yourself do it, make your own goals, make your own habits, not let yourself off the hook, measure yourself every day, give yourself a score and just keep doing it day after day after day.
0: And you have a chapter in the book, you mentioned there's a chapter called I ams. Can you speak to what, what, what that practice is for you and how that served you? Yeah, the, the I ams
1: are having a, a life vision statement. And so every morning I wake up and I, I try to do this before I look at any anything on my phone. I try to, to remind myself that I am loved, I am secure, I am free, and I am happy. And I tell myself those things every day, and then I typically will read a chapter in the Bible, and then I'll let myself look at my emails or ESPN or whatever it might be that I'm
0: looking at at that time. Do you have my curiosity on this one? You said secure is one of the words, and you said free is another word. So, love, secure, free, happy. Can you do? Do you have a definition of how you define secure and how you define free? Yeah, I would say it this way. So, two of those
1: four things cannot change, right? I, I am, I am loved. I'm loved by God. I'm loved by my wife. I've been loved by my wife. It's been the the last 34 years have been the best 34 years of her life. I'm sure. That's a joke, of course. <laughs> the other one is, it's felt like 10 minutes underwater. Underwater. <laughs> <laughs> Enough with jokes. But, you know, we have a close family. I mean, all of our family lives basically in the same neighborhood now. I mean, my family has separation issues. So we have a, felt a lot of love from each other. We all are pretty similar in our faith journeys. So, So love is, I think we all feel that you know, secure. I'm very secure in my faith and what I believe. I don't think anything can separate me from what I believe and the God I believe in. And so I feel great about that. So freedom's different. You know, today I'm pretty free to, I'm still pretty athletic, so I can play golf. I can walk. I can do yoga. I used to do other you know, I had to give up church league basketball. I had to give up bowling. I, I ran a bowling league in our neighborhood, and all my neighbors and friends—about a hundred of us—did it. And we all have gotten injured or hurt, so that's sort of fallen by the the wayside. But uh, you know, I, I may not always be healthy enough in to do the things that I that I want to do. So, freedom is something you can't always take for granted. And then happiness you know, you're not always going to be happy. There are going to be seasons in your life. God may put you on a path where your happiness factor is low. And you've got to realize that's just, it's going to happen. It's unavoidable. But I want to remind myself in times when I am happy that I'm
0: happy and it's a real blessing. And to come up with these four words that you came up with, what was the process of elimination to get to the, to get clarity of your four IMs, am's and your, because I'm sure there was something there. Well, I had gone through some training. Let me see.
1: Let me grab this book. Let me grab my book and let me just read to you the, the technical term here. It's not right on the tip of my tongue, but yeah, I recently participated in coaching primarily focused on living out your life vision, which means We direct the construction or destruction of our neuropathways by what we think about. And I go on to say, I'm not really sure about that whole self-directed neuroplasticity, which is the name of the word. But I do think this self-talk that we do on a regular basis is helpful. And so that's how I, we we went through some training on building a life vision statement through work. And I morphed that into the I am's and I still feel good about the I am's. I still wake up in the morning and tell me the I tell myself the I am's. And so, so far, so good. I haven't changed
0: it. It's a great practice. And I love that. uh, You know, if you're listening right now to the show, you can go back to our episode on purpose and we'll talk a little bit about how to help you craft your own purpose statement. And I really love what Link is saying here, which is once you get clear of your purpose statement, it's tacking them on to your core values, which we also have an episode on and taking those, defining them, reminding yourself of them, doing these affirmations, these I am statements and anchoring that in. Link, I am curious though, you you said you're very secure in the, and Andrew Biggs and I, we had an episode where we kind of, talk that sometimes the people of the religion are the problem with the actual religion that that they're so centered in in this the, the center of, of life is the religion and if someone's not necessarily aligning the way that it's supposed to be then they're like bad people or something like that like the people versus the religion for someone so secure in your faith i figured hey i'm gonna ask you some stuff what is it do you experience that at all like i mean or or, uh, hopefully you're not one of those people that like deter, you know but but you know what what would you have to say about that you know there's this and maybe you know them maybe you've seen them hopefully you're not that person it's just like they they project this you know unique vibe onto others outside of the community or not as good as them inside the community type of people it's a deterrent for some and I don't know if you've experienced that, but being so secure, can you speak to that just a little bit? I'm, I, I'd love to hear what you have to say.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's one of the, the big problems with faith today. You know, faith in America, you know, people are Christian because they're American. And then they feel like this sort of like this good or bad, you know, and, you know, how do you get to heaven? It's because I'm good enough. And really Christianity's nothing about that. You know, Christianity just says, hey, look, we're all bad people. We all make mistakes. My favorite sermon title by our pastor, Randy Pope, he says, Cheer up. You're worse than you think you are. And I believe (laughs) that. I mean, so give yourself a break. Forgive yourself, forgive others, and realize that it has nothing to do with what you do. None of us deserve any of it. And it's all about the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And that's what we believe as Christians you know i kind of want to believe something different i mean i personally would like to believe that all nice people go to heaven and i just i can't believe that cuz i just i don't think it's true i think if this whole jesus thing is true if this guy really came uh, you know born of a virgin really god lived this life died on a cross and raised himself from the dead if that's true i have to believe it so you know sometimes i really prefer to hang on my golf buddies and people in the hood and not my church buddies. Cause I just, they're not as fun and they take themselves too seriously. So mm. I don't know if that answered the question. Was that in the, well, in the realm I, of an answer?
0: It, yeah, it does. Because, because I think some people get so caught up in, I, I call it the politics of religion, you know, or sometimes it's the politics of the business. Where it's like they get so caught up in you know living up to the rules of what it's supposed to be, they forget about the human component of what you just said. That, well, we're perfectly imperfect, <laughs> and uh, and having that having a lot of grace around that is, is is a really great way of viewing it. Because I know growing up Jewish, going to temple is like clicky. It was like a bunch of little clicks, and it was like. I felt like I wasn't Jewish enough to be a part of like certain cliques. And it's almost like a deterrent from the faith or from the faith aspect of the religion, which is unfortunate because I assume I don't want to assume I'm going to ask for someone who's gone through tragedy, which I know I have. And I know you have. Death of a loved one. Andrew Biggs and I had an episode on this. Sometimes the foundation of the security that we have within that religion or within that faith is questioned. Some people that project their insecurities or project their judgment, sometimes having gone through tragedy to have forced their opinions onto others. So for you to have gone through the tragic loss of a son, Tyler, I, how did, how did your faith play a part in this? Was was, I'm assuming you were already secure in your faith before This, you know, according to reading the book before this tragedy happened with Tyler and how did that faith carry over? Like, was it questioned during this time frame? And if so, how was it questioned? If it wasn't, how did you stay so secure? I'd love to hear from you on that. And I know you do a good job at explaining this in the book. I I would just love to hear hear about it. Yeah. I mean, it's Tyler
1: passed away. He was a student at Auburn, passed away when he was 20 years old. And, you know, not a day goes by where I wish that God's plan for my life was different, that Tyler was still with us, that, you know, know, he'd be 30 now. Would he be married? What would he look like? But I have to continue to worship a God that will allow that to happen. And, you know, that's not that's not easy, you know, thinking about the sovereignty of God and his, you know, does he really allow people he loves to go through these challenges like that? And you know, I think about the story of Job in the Bible, and he, he went through this whole deal where he lost his family and his health and then God restored it. But, you know, Job might have liked his first family, too, and he kind of misses them. And, you know, I wish that we still had Tyler here. And so one thing that's helped, and I talk about this in the book, is I think of, you know, Tyler was really never mine. He was never ours. He's always been God's. The day God gave us Tyler, he knew he was going to take him home early. And we have to be good stewards of what God gives us. I'll often say, if you want to hear about, know about someone's faith, you know, the best way to do it is look at their checkbook. Look at how they spend their money and stewarding money's hard. Stewarding kids is even harder. So that's helped a lot. Just having that mindset that I'll see Tyler again. You know, God has plans for all of us. Sometimes the plans for us to live long, full lives. And sometimes he's going to has a different plan for us. And his plan for Tyler was different. And, you know, it, it was a tough road for a while, for sure. And but, as time passes, and we've we have grandchildren now, they've kind of helped a little bit something new in our lives, so that's helped too but but yeah, it's not easy to you know most marriages don't survive the loss of a child, most people's faith is certainly questioned, and for us, we've been able to obviously stay married, have a very thriving marriage and also our faith has been really I wouldn't say bolstered by this but I would say our faith has remained strong through tragedy
0: so hmm. and, and what advice would you give to someone that hasn't experienced tragedy yet maybe it's maybe it's Christianity maybe it's Judaism maybe it's Buddhism maybe it's Hinduism maybe it's, Hinduism, maybe it's something else something else how does how might one get anchored to something that's bigger than what is right now because there's that the hedonist that might, you know, say that, you know, someone just dies and that's it. And that's why we have a better than rich show. Cause it's, it's more, it's like the depth of life. It's the deeper purpose behind, you know, behind what, what is, how might someone get a little stronger in, in that faith to carry them through tragedy in case tragedy does you know, make their way to, towards them at later on in life?
1: Well, a couple things. I would say that God usually doesn't work in people's lives through prosperity. He tends to work through people's lives through tragedy and challenge. And so if you're in a time where you're not experiencing a lot of tragedy, but things seem to be good, I would take a moment and try to figure out what is it I really believe? Why do I believe what I believe? And challenge it, question it, learn, really decide what it is you want to believe. Because there will be a time ahead where life is not as perfect as it seems right now. And you'll be better prepared for that. So I just think you need to in times of prosperity and peace, if that's the right word, take some time to reflect and think about what what you
0: really believe. When you say your belief, how do you define a belief? Just out of curiosity. So when someone says, you know, I believe in this or I believe this is what is like, how do you define just a belief in general?
1: Yeah, I don't
0: know if I know the right answer. I would say that
1: you know we believe. Carla and I believe in absolutes in our life. And so there are certain things in our life that we just don't bend on. And one is our faith. One is our marriage and the fact that we're absolutely committed to each other no matter what. So I just think it's things that your commitment is so strong that it's unwavering. It can't be because my parents were that way. It can't be because I was brought up that way. You have to have an adult conversation with yourself and say, what is it I really believe? What is really important to me, no matter what? And those are the things that matter, I think.
0: Hmm. I I love that definition. So absolutes, unwavering commitment. So when you say a listener, you're listening to this and say, what do I believe? Another way of saying that is, what are my absolutes? What are my unwavering commitments? I really like that link. I'm glad I asked. That's 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 really eloquently said. So thank you for that. You're I, welcome. I do want to pivot the book that that you have. The side road where where are the profits going? You said it's all going towards nonprofits, but what does that mean? Tell tell us more.
1: Well, Cole has a nonprofit called True Radical Love. So all of the books that. I bought during the pre kind of process. Those proceeds went to a handful of charities, one being True Radical Love, one being Children's Health Care of Atlanta, one being Groundwire, another ministry we're fond of. And then now that the book has released and for sale, the the profits that we receive all go to True Radical Love, which is Cole's nonprofit, which is a which is a nonprofit that stands against sex trafficking and pornography. They're he and Kayla are very committed to helping couples, you know, not letting pornography ruin a marriage, or definitely trying to find
0: a way to stand against sex trafficking. Hmm. beautiful. And. If you had to speak to the book, I mean, why Why did you decide to say, all right, I'm going to take on this project? You already have, you got the family, you got the gr- grandchildren, you got the business is doing well. Why would you want to take on this chapter of life right now where things are pretty good? You're hanging out, sipping wine, hanging out with boots and, you know, <laughs> you know, your cat and the dog, you know, you're just kind of hanging out with Bailey and playing golf like why would you want to take on a project of writing a book about you know all the tribulations and challenges in life give back and donate all the proceeds to nonprofit. why don't you just like chill and sit and be left to hell alone and just (laughs) enjoy like why would you want to take on this project right now at this chapter of life
1: yeah you're not the only person that asked me that my wife asked me that during this process too but it's really cole's fault i actually said Eight, I think in chapter five of the book, I said, look, if you're powering through this book and you're not really loving the material, it's Cole's fault. So Cole has been wanting me to write a book for a couple of years now. He's in a lot of communities, and people in our industry have written books. And so he he went so far as to line up a handful of meetings for me, like with a ghostwriter, with a writing coach, with a company like Scripts. And after about five of those meetings, I said, well, Cole, I'm, you know, I don't even journal well. So why don't, let me just see if I can do it. So I just sort of sat down and I started writing a bunch of life stories. And after I had about 20 of them and maybe 20 more I might could write about, I said, okay, if I was going to write about this stuff, what what would the chapters look like? And so I made a list of these chapters and then I would take a story, put it in a chapter and try and write about it. And the truth is I really liked it. I mean, I found it therapeutic. I wish, you know, the book's a short read. It's like a long-term paper. The publisher says on the back of the book, it's an 82-minute read. So you can kind of time yourself on how fast a reader you are. But I, I enjoyed it. It took me about four or five months to write it. I did hire a writing coach when I was about 70% done with the book. And she was great split seed Amanda Rooker she was my writing coach if you ever want to write a book and you're thinking you want to get some help she'd be a great person but it was fun and they helped me tie it all together and then they introduced me to a publisher and publisher took it first try which was great it probably didn't hurt that Charles was willing to uh, endorse the book with a one-liner
0: and uh, so, very thankful to Sir Charles for his help. And uh, I'd, I'd love to know about that connection. I mean, Charles Barkley, I mean, shoot, growing up 90s basketball, Charlie, you know, he was, the, he was the man. So, from the Sixers to the Suns, I mean, obviously, some people just see him on ESPN now, but he was one of the best rebounders, defensive players, most aggressive power forwards that played the game. And shoot, when I, I picked it up, I was like, I, I, hey, I'll read it because it's linked. And, uh, you know, it's like, all right, this is Cole's dad, of course. Then I was like, oh, shoot, Charles Barkley? What? Let me check this out, right? I'd love to know how that connection happened and, you know, uh, just selfishly more than anything.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. You know, Charles and I were at at Auburn close to the same time. He was a little ahead of me, so I kind of, he was finishing up as I was getting there. And we, we weren't friends at Auburn. But when he's in Atlanta, he lives in a, in a place where I have one of my really good friends lives there. And so we've gotten to know each other that way. We've gone to a basketball game together. We've gone to dinner a few times. We recently did a golf trip together. And the thing about Charles, that, that what I really like about Charles is, you know, he is, he's famous. Everybody knows who he is, but he is a great listener. He's engaging. He doesn't. He, he's just. He's interested in what other people have to say, and what he says is typically thoughtful and genuine, and I, I love that about him. He's a he's a great guy, and uh,
0: and I am thankful that he has given us a little bit of a support here. That's. I mean, that's fantastic. And I mean, to 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 be able to network and kind of. Foster a relationship with someone that is of celebrity status like Charles Barkley is, 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 is a testament to you, of course, to add value to the relationship because I'm sure he comes in contact with a lot of people that would like to, you know, consider him a friend or that he would actually write a comment about their book. So it's a testament to you, Link, you know, just how much value you could bring to his life, too. So he, would, he was willing to reciprocate that. I, I meant to ask this. I had it in my notes and I just, I don't want to skip it because I'm genuinely curious. You, you, you have F Link Forrester the third. Can you fill fill me in on what the F and the third, like you know, wh- wh- where where these come into play? I'm just I'm I'm again very curious. Yeah,
1: so Link is a family name. I'm a third, so I'm I'm third in line. F is my first name, Frank. It stands for Frank ah. Link Forester the third. We decided, you know, my dad, my parents so also the lived in. you're the third Frank.
0: So you're the third Frank, then?
1: Well, yes. My grandfather went by Frank. My dad went by Link. I go by Link. And so when we had our first, we started thinking, you know, if you go to my club to play golf and you say, "Hey, I'm going to play golf with Link Forrester," they're going to say, "Well, you going to play with Big Link? Are you going to play with Little Link?" And we weren't sure what our son would be called. So we decided to take my mom's maiden name, which is Banks, and start a new tradition. So we have a Banks instead of Link. And now he has his oldest is a boy. Actually, all three of his kids are boys. But his oldest is named Banks as well. So we've started, started a new tradition.
0: New tradition. That's cool. And Link, just a nickname or is that your middle name?
1: It's my middle name and it's a last name in our family. Most people think it has something to do with golf because it kind of feels like a golf name, but it's really just a last name. But ha- again, having the name like Link is like kind of showing up with a visor on at the course or your name on the bag. There you know people expect you to have a little bit of game. So, a little bit of pressure, you know, unneeded pressure there probably.
0: Well, that's cool. I mean, you got blessed with Lincoln Banks. I mean, as far as names go, because if we took maiden names for my family, it would be Abramowitz or Hurowitz. And I don't know if those are <laughs> really strong first names. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a little tougher, tougher draw. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. So, so Link, you know, before we head for the exits, I know the book is available. Where, where could someone get the book? And then I'm going to finish up our episode with three rapid fire questions for you. But how can people stay in touch with you? How can they learn more about about the side road? How can they learn more about the nonprofits if they want to get familiar with that? What what what, what could they do?
1: You can get the book where books are sold now. So you can get it at Barnes and Noble online. You get it at wherever you buy it, wherever you buy books. It's available. You can you know Google Link Forester or the Side Road and it should easily get you to a place where you can buy the book you can learn about me and and, and the side road at our website link you can go to our we have the side road book is a facebook location as well as on instagram the side road book so you can learn about it
0: there and great. and check us out correctly you you said you were gonna give away a free round of golf with you and Charles Barkley to all of our listeners or something like that? Was,
1: was <laughs> that- <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen.
0: But okay, I'd love for
1: us the to famous, play some Yeah. The
0: famous Charles I think his Barkley golf game's played. a little bit
1: his golf game's a little bit better than what you might think or see on TV. He he's got some I'm games. Sure. You wouldn't wanna Bring too much cash to the course
0: with him; he might get a little of it. I'm sure, I'm sure. I, I he just I just remember lo- watching all the footage of his crazy golf swing and just trying to seeing all like Michael Jordan joke with him on it and all that footage because I grew up a big Jordan fan. I know they're big friends, so it's, it's it's cool. So, link three quick questions, rapid fire, whatever comes to the top of your head. Ready? Are you ready for the questions? I'm ready. All right. Question number one. What do you think the world needs most today?
1: I think the world needs families. They need dads. They need kids need to grow up in a, in a home with a mom and dad that love them. And I think the breakdown of the American family has been really a, you know, a struggle for America and that would be my number
0: one, I think. That's great. Second question, what are one to three books that you think people should read? Yeah, I read a lot of fiction. So I'm
1: probably I'm going to give you one nonfiction book that I read recently. It's, it's a, w- one thing is it, I didn't know this could be possible, but it's shorter than my book. I mean, so it's, it's, it's incredibly short, but it's a book called Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. And it really is a great things about the faith that you think it's just, it's a very thoughtful book. I would recommend that. Great.
0: What would be the fiction one?
1: I read a lot of James Patterson. I read Harlan Coben. I mean, you know, you name it, I read it and love. Do you think people should read them too? Yeah, I think fiction's fun. I, I think up at the lake and just chilling out beer and on the lake, reading a book. It's hard to, hard to beat.
0: All right. Fair enough. Third question. Like,
1: what does it mean to be better than rich? I think it means to me, the number one thing in life is relationship. Relationships are what drive life. So relationship with God, relationship with your family, relationship with your friends. To me, there, there's no amount of money in the world that's worth more than great relationships. And
0: that to me is the most important thing. That's better than rich. It's Awesome. Love that. Well, Link, thank you so much for your time. Frank Link, Forrester III, we appreciate you, all that you're contributing to societies around the world through the nonprofits, through the book, through the message. And dear listener, I just want to thank you for taking the time to tune in today to the Better Than Rich show and get your copy of The Side Road help all those nonprofits and all those uh, less fortunate who could use some help. And uh, as always, thank you for your subscription. If you got value from the show, please share it. And remember to leave today better than you found it. Till next time, take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at Better Than Rich and join our Facebook group at The Better Than Rich Show. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time. And remember, leave today better than you found it.